Welcome to Cross Point. So glad that you're with us today, whether you're one of our locations or you're with us online. Glad that we can jump into this, back into this series where we're talking about generosity. We're talking about, God, would you refine our hearts? Would you help us become um, more generous like, like you are? To have that heart of generosity, that, that heart of gold. And, and what we're talking about is, God, would you do this refining work? Would you refine our hearts and that we would, we would, have, we would have gratitude and we would have contentment and, and that we would have trust and we'd have love? And then would you refine out those things that, that need to be removed, those things like pride and comparison and anxiety and indifference? Would you refine a heart of gold? And last week, we talked about moving from pride to gratitude. And today we're gonna to talk about moving from comparison and coveting to contentment. And to get us into the teaching today, I'm gonna to need a little help and I've got a, uh, I've got a treadmill and I've got my treadmill shoes that I normally wear on a treadmill. Um, I got my boots, I don't know how this is gonna work, but I know that, um, that I have a little, bit of, uh, little bit of experience on treadmill. How many of you have treadmills? We're gonna get going a little too fast. How many of you have treadmills at your house? How many of you use it to hang clothes on it? Just go ahead. Yes, that confession is good for the soul. I, uh, I've got a, a little bit of experience with treadmill back when I was training for a marathon. I don't know if I can do this and preach at the same time, but I was, I was, uh, I was running. And so like when you're training for a marathon and it's, and it's cold outside, like you have to, you have to figure out other ways because you're doing a ton of miles. And so I went to the gym and got on a treadmill. Now in the, in the gym, in the, in the, you know, in the wintertime, it's tough to get a, it's tough to get a breath when you're trying to talk, but it's tough. It's tough to get a treadmill, so I had to find, I found one. And I've got a problem when it comes to a treadmill is that um, like some people stretch. I don't know how you get in these things. Some people like walk slowly. Some people just kind of just jump in. That's me, I just kind of jump in. I don't stretch before I run. Have you ever seen a cheetah stretch before the kill? Doesn't happen. I don't stretch before a workout, I just kind of jump in. You can email me about that later on. And so I jump in and I would, and here's my problem on the treadmill. It's like I don't have a plan. Other people, they have a plan for their workout. I don't have a plan. You know what my plan is? Look over at the person next to me and see where they're at. And I look and I'm like, hey, they're at a 7.2. I'm only at a 4.0. And so then I bump it up a little bit. Because see, you know, when I'm on the treadmill, I'm not, um, let's just put it this way. I'm trying to win the treadmill. And so what happens is I start comparing myself with the people around me and I just, start bumping up, because I gotta win. And then I started to think about that. <sighs> started thinking about that, and that's true in life, too. Because there's a different kind of treadmill that we can get on, and it's the treadmill of comparison. Where in life, we start looking around us to the left and to the right, and seeing what other people are doing, and we keep trying to bump it up, and we find ourselves out of breath. And some of us are exhausted today. We're exhausted 
because the treadmill is running and we're running too, trying, trying to keep up. And it's the comparison and it's the envy and it's the coveting and it's the trying to keep up with other people that can wear us out in life. And so what I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about what it looks like for us today to get off the treadmill. Because here's the other thing, we got another treadmill. I'm gonna go ahead and turn this thing off because it's wearing me out, just seeing it go. We got another treadmill that we don't even have to go to the gym to get on, and it's our phones. Because when it comes to the treadmill of comparison, our phones are like a treadmill for our thumbs. When it comes to scrolling, and we start scrolling, and what happens is we end up looking around, and we end up looking at other people, and we end up comparing our lives with others. And we can be scrolling, we can compare, we can compare vacations and jobs and cars and houses and followers and kids and families and shoes and stuff and achievement and entertainment and parties and friends and workouts and bodies. And we can get to compare really, really fast and it can wear us out trying to keep up with everybody around us. And here's the problem with that treadmill of comparison is that, um, is that it's exhausting and it lies to us. And there are two primary lies that it gives us. The first, the first lie is, is that when you get that thing, then you'll be happy. Like when you get that thing, then you'll be happy. If you just, if you get that car or you get that job or you get that outfit or you get those shoes, or you get that hat, if you get that thing, if you get that phone, then you'll be happy. And it's a lie, you know how I know? It's because the last one didn't work. Like the last one didn't work. The thing told me that when I got it, well, then I'd be happy. But you know what? I always want the next thing. And so that's the first lie, is that if you get the thing, then you'll be happy. You know what the second lie is? You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not tall enough. You're not fast enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You haven't achieved enough. You haven't accomplished enough. You aren't successful enough. You don't have enough. And so it lies to us. The lie of the treadmill of comparison is that tells us that we're not enough. And if, if Satan can get us, can seduce us into living a life of comparison, well, then we end up living under the crushing weight of never measuring up. And we've all heard about like the negative impact that, that social media um, can have on, on our mental health. And, and especially when it comes to, to teenage girls and the, and, the, and the struggle with anxiety and depression, but it's not just teenage girls, it's something that, that, that we all can struggle with. It's not just a teenage problem, it's not just a technology problem, it's a human problem. In fact, when you go back and you look at the first, you look at the 10 commandments, you look at the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment is this. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's Exodus 20, verse 17. Now, remember, God's giving these 10 commandments to the nation of Israel after they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And he's giving these 10 commandments, which are kind of like the moral building blocks of society. He's saying, I'm gonna teach you again how to respond, how to be in a right relationship, how to be in relationship with God and how to be in relationship with one another. And these, these are kind of like just the basic building blocks of human flourishing. And so he gives us these, these commandments and some of the commandments you'll remember is like, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. That's, these aren't real, um, these, aren't, these, aren't, these like aren't real, uh, controversial uh, commandments. And so he gives these first nine, and then number 10, he says, don't covet. You're like, don't covet? Like, that seems a little odd. Like, the first nine I get, but like, God, did you just have nine and you want to round it out with 10? I mean, what was the deal? Like, where did, where did we get to, 
to not coveting. It's kind of odd. What's the big deal of looking over the fence and looking at what our neighbor has and then wanting what they have? Here's what God knows. God knows there are more ways to be slaves than to just be in Egypt. He knows that we can be enslaved to our desires and trying to keep up that the treadmill of comparison can wear us out. God knew that we could, have you ever borrowed money so that you can buy something that you don't need so that you can impress other people with what you have? Anybody else? All right, I'm the only one today. There's this treadmill of comparison. And then in, this, in the Proverbs, what it says, Proverbs 22, seven, it says, the borrower is slave to the lender. There are more ways to be enslaved than to be in Egypt. We can be slaves to our desires, to our wants, to comparison to what other people have, to envy, to coveting. And God, in his infinite wisdom, he's trying to protect us. He's trying to help us when he says, don't, don't covet. When he tells us, don't look over the neighbor. And here's the problem with, the, here's the problem with, the, with social media is that now we're not just looking in our neighbor's yard. Like we've expanded our neighborhood to the world. I'm comparing the tree fort that I built for my kids with a dad in Eugene, Oregon. And so now I'm trying to win the race against the human race. So this is the danger of comparison. And what God's saying, he's saying, he's saying, be careful, be careful that you don't get bound up, that you don't get caught up. And why does he say don't covet? And when you think about it, this is, this is, the, only, this is the only one. And like in the ancient world, God's given them a commandment that is unenforceable. Like the only person that knows if you're coveting is you. The only person that knows that I'm coveting, if I'm coveting is me and God. The only, we're the only people who knows. Well, why would God say it then? Because we can't be generous and covet at the same time. See, to covet is to look at my neighbor and go, I want what you have. To be generous is saying, I want to use what I have to bless other people. And so God wants us, I like that you're here. I do. We've got somebody talking back to me at the Nashville campus and I'm getting fired up right now. So we might go a little long today. I'm just, just letting you know. Yeah, so. And so Moses gives the 10 commandments at Mount Sinai and, and Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount on the mountainside in Galilee. And Jesus is, he's, he's addressing our hearts. He gives us these eight beatitudes and then he begins, he begins to teach, he begins to, begins to teach things. He takes it to the heart. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Listen, Jesus is the only one who's ever lived the 10 commandments perfectly. And then he goes on to say, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but anyone who hates his brothers committed murder in his heart. Verse 27, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. He said, our problem is deeper than the law. We have a problem that the law can't solve. It's our heart. We need a new heart. Jesus said, I've come to give you a new heart. I've come to set you, set you free. Jesus wants to, he wants to set us free. And that's why he talks about money in the Sermon on the Mount. His first message, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks about money because he knows how we can get bound up, how we can get bound up in these things. And he knows that the treadmill will wear us out, the treadmill will get us nowhere, and that it, it lies to us and tells us that it's going to satisfy and it doesn't. And then it also tells us that we're not enough. And so Jesus calls the disciples off the treadmills and he calls them up the mountain. And this is where he says to him in Matthew chapter six, verse 21. 
He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, if you want to know where your heart is, look at where your treasure goes. If you want to know where, if you want to know where my heart is, if you want to know where your heart is, don't look at how my Bible's marked up. Don't look at my prayer journal and what I write. Don't look at the theological books on my bookshelf. Look at my calendar and look at my bank account. Look at, look at how we spend our time and how we spend our gifts and how we spend our money. It reveals what's going on in our hearts. And then in the next verse, verse, 20, verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this seems like a, like a cryptic verse. You're like, Jesus, what are you talking about with healthy eyes? I mean, what, what's going on here? And it's, it's, it's hard to understand unless we understand that this is a Jewish idiom. Like we would say, I feel under the weather. Or we would say, he's just pulling your leg. This is, a, this is a Jewish idiom. It's a saying to say that someone has a good eye means that they look out for the needs of others and they're generous toward the poor. Proverbs 22, nine says, um, Whoever, whose ever eye is good will be blessed because he gives his bread to the poor. So to have a good eye means that, that you're, you're generous. To have a bad eye is to be greedy and self-centered, blind to the needs of those around you. And Jesus is saying that when you're generous, that you light up, that you light up. Think about it. People who are most generous, they're the ones who light up the room. He's saying with your generosity, when you're generous with your time and with your attention and you're generous with your resources, you're generous with other people around you, he's like, you light up a room, you light up relationships, you can light up a family. When, you, when you're generous, you can light up a neighborhood, you can light up a workplace, you can light up the lives of your employees, you can light up the lives of your employer, you can, live, you can light up relationships when you're generous. We can light up a city. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. Like you are like, you're like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Let your light shine before men and women. Let your light shine. He's saying, when you are generous, your light shines. Those who shine the brightest are those who give themselves away. And Jesus is saying, there's something about generosity that shines that light. On the other hand, when we're selfish, we can become like a black hole that... sucks the life <laughs> out of a room and out of relationships, out of teams, out of departments, out of marriages, out of families. He's saying, but when you give yourself away, it's like fresh breath. It's like light. It's like wind in the sails when we're generous. And then in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As Bob Dylan said, you gotta serve somebody. Ultimately, we're all gonna serve someone. Now, now he's saying we're either gonna serve God or we're gonna serve money. That Greek word for money is the word mammon, and mammon is actually more than money. It's possessions and property and things and stuff. It can also be, be said to be pleasure and popularity and fame and, and favor. And mammon is like this spiritual force that can pull us out of the orbit of serving Christ 
And then we start serving other things. And so Jesus isn't saying that money is bad. He doesn't say that money is evil. The Bible never says that money is evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so Jesus isn't saying that money's bad. He's just saying there's more to life than money. And so he's, he's given us instruction here where we choose what we're gonna serve. So how do we get free? How do we, we get free from comparison? How do we get free from coveting? How do we get free from, from serving mammon? I'll say, I need God's help with this. We all need God's help. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't set ourselves free from Egypt in our own strength. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer. And Jesus is the true and better Moses who came to set us free from being enslaved to the things of this world and takes us into the promised land. And one of the gifts of the promised land that he gives us is what the apostle Paul calls contentment. Contentment. Contentment is a gift of God that helps us, that helps us navigate this space. Um, contentment, as, as Paul talks about it, I mean, the word means to be full, to be, to be satiated, to be satisfied. Have you ever been to Monell's? Rusty, I know you have. Rusty, you said whenever somebody comes in town, that's the first place you take them. I wish I could come into town more than once for the first time so we could go. I love, I love Monell's. Go down there, you sit with a bunch of strangers and some of you are introverts and you're like, that sounds horrible. You, you don't talk, you just eat. It's, it's like Cracker Barrel on crack. That's what it is. And Monell's, they just keep bringing food out to you. It is the only place that I have ever said no to banana pudding. You know why? Because I was full. I was so full. I was so satisfied. I was so content. That's the word. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned how to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison and Paul knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be in need. You can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, I've been, I've been beaten, I've been whipped. He says, I've been shipwrecked, I've been alone, I've been imprisoned, I've gone sleepless nights. Paul says, I have, I have, uh, I've, I've experienced barely having any clothes. Paul's like, I've known what it's like to be in need. But here Paul is saying, I've, I've learned, and he continues on, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So he's like, I got the secret. How many of you, when you hear somebody say, I got the secret, you're like, all right then. What's the secret? So Paul's got us leading in. Paul's going, I know, I know how to break free from the treadmill of comparison. I know how to break, break free from this continually going after others. He said, here is the secret. I've got the secret. Verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, that's the secret. The secret is I know how to live in plenty. I know how to live in want. I know how to live with much. I know how to live with little. He's like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And some people would see that verse and like, I thought that verse was so that I could get a one rep max of 225 on bench press. <laughs> some people are like, I thought that was so that I could run a four, five, 40. I'm gonna tell you, you can't do that through Christ who gives you strength. Maybe some of you can, but most of us, can, us, most of us can't, right? That, that verse is not so that we can reach our elite athletic performance. That verse is so that we can learn how to live with less. And we can learn how to live with more without it, us, without it owning us. But that we would be able, is that, money's about, that verse is about money and it's about lifestyle. He's saying, I've learned the secret. 
Tim Keller says that contentment is a deep calm and equilibrium. John Stott says contentment is peace in all circumstances. Paul's saying it's Christ who gives us strength. That's how we navigate this world where there's this temptation to constantly bump it up, constantly measure up, constantly compare ourselves, how to be free from the, the comparison with other people, the approval of man, and constantly thinking about how to get more stuff. Paul says the secret is, it's Christ who gives me strength. And it's only through Jesus. And you know what? Paul is in a prison, in a Roman prison cell when he's writing this. And he's more free than some of the guards because it's Christ who gives him strength. And so what I wanna want do, realizing that it's Christ who gives us strength, I wanna give us some practices, some practices that this week we can download into our lives to help us, help us navigate the treadmill of comparison and coveting. And so let me give you four practices. If you're taking notes, we're gonna talk about how do we move from comparison and coveting to contentment? And I just want you to ask God, God, what's the one that you want me to put into play this week? If you're taking notes, you can write down the first one. The first one is fill up, fill up first. Number one is fill up first, fill up first. This is all about order and priority. You're already doing it in that we've gathered together in worship. When, you're, when you worship, you're saying, I wanna, when we gather on Sundays together, we're saying, I wanna start my week, Sunday, the first day of the week. I'm saying the first day of the week, I wanna start up and I wanna fill up. I'm asking God that you would fill up my heart, that you'd fill up my heart with truth, that you'd fill me up with your spirit. I love that song that we sang together. We say, God, would you fill me again? We're getting filled up the first day of the week. This is bring it into your day. Every single day that we're saying the first thing that we do, we would be filled up. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. He said, if you're hungry, you'll be filled. You know, we're hungriest in the morning. We're hungriest in the morning and we bring that hunger, physically we bring that hunger to, to eat. This is bringing that spiritual hunger. It's saying, God, I wanna, I wanna come to you and I'm asking you would, you would fill me up. And the more he fills up our lives, the less good sin looks. The less good the temptation, the comparison because we're, because we're satisfied, that we would be satisfied in him. And so it's going to him first and saying, God, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to fill me up. Contentment is the overflow of communion with God. Amen. And so when I commune with him, there is a contentment that I experience in my heart that I wanna take into the day. And one way that we can practice this is to fill up first, and here's what I mean fill up first, that we would fill up on him before we start scrolling the treadmill of the thumb. I mean, some of us, our thumbs are very fit. <laughs> We are exercising our thumbs. What I'm saying is that we would let our hearts get filled up with truth before we go to the world and to Instagram to tell us who we are, that we would go to God to tell us who we are, that we let our hearts fill up on truth. And, and, and don't, get, don't get so focused on like the, the what, like what we do. Let's talk just about the priority and just the order of when, just first thing that we're going to him. It may, be that you, it may be that you read a devotion. It may be that you buy one, get one of the Advent devotions. It may be that you, that you read Upmost for His Highest that's online. It may be that you have a, just a chapter of scripture that you're reading, or maybe you just set the timer for three minutes and you just sit in silence and solitude and prayer. It may be that you put on a worship song and you just, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. 
Every hour I need, you know why I sing that song? Because every hour I need him, every minute I need him. And the more we put our need on him, the more he fills us up. And so we fill up first. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. It's run your race, run your race. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Let me ask you a question. Where are you most tempted to look around and see what other people got going on on their treadmill? Where are you most tempted to, to look around and start comparing your race with other people? I know sometimes I can compare with other pastors, other ministries, other churches, other pastors who are better communicators, better leaders. You know how much that helps me? Zero. Comparison is the thief of joy. And so I found this this summer, I found this line that's been really helpful to me. And it was from a book called Attacking Anxiety by Sean Johnson. Let me give it to you. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. I'd encourage you to write it down. Get out your phone, write it in your notes. Don't scroll, but, uh, but you can write it. You can scroll if you want to, but I bet this line is better than anything you'd find out there. It says, I can celebrate their calling, but I will walk in mine. So I can celebrate their calling, but I'm gonna walk in mine. The moment that you feel tempted, when you look over and you're at the lunchroom and you see somebody who's a better athlete than you or better looking than you, I can celebrate their calling, but I'm gonna walk in mine. The moment you, you see the neighbor and they just got a new Tesla, you're like, I'm gonna celebrate their calling. Maybe later, but I'm gonna celebrate their calling, but I'm gonna walk in mine. The moment when that coworker, they get a promotion or they get recognition for the product, you know what, I'm gonna celebrate their calling, but I'm gonna walk in mine. That we feel tempted to compare with other people, just that line, it brings us back. We're scrolling through social media, we see somebody's just crushing the game. We say, you know what, I'm gonna celebrate their calling, but I'm gonna walk in mine. Listen, there is a race that only you can run. You don't wanna get second place in somebody else's race. Run your race with endurance and perseverance. God created you to run the race that he has for you. How do we find that race? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we run toward him. And when we look over to our left and right, we can encourage other people in their right, not to compare, but to encourage. But there is a race that only you can run. And the more that we focus on the race that God has called us to, the less temptation we feel to compare with other people. And so we run our race. Third, if you're taking notes, you write this down. Make time to fast. Make time to fast. What is fasting? Fasting is, is willfully and voluntarily Choosing to give up something that you want, namely food, for something that you want more, namely more of God. And we're not talking about doing it for a diet. We're not talking about it um, for health reasons. We're talking about spiritually. And it's interesting, in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, in the middle of a conversation about giving and a conversation about generosity, Jesus, he weaves in this conversation about, about fasting. And Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. Why does Jesus say when you fast? Here's why, because fasting breaks the yoke. Fasting breaks the yoke of being addicted to stuff and things and the attention of other people. That, that what we find is that in fasting, it breaks this yoke to acquisition. And what we find is that in God's spirit and in his power, if we can say no to that sandwich, we can say no to buy now on Amazon Prime. <laughs> what we discover is that we discover that God's given us the resources in his spirit to tell ourselves no. 
Fasting is a powerful discipline. And so I just encourage you, pick a meal this week. Just experiment with this. Pick a meal this week and say, okay, God, I'm gonna set, or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a 24 hours, but say, God, I'm gonna set aside eating during this period so I can go after more of you. And then ask him the question, God, is there anywhere in my life where I'm trying to solve spiritual problems with material things? And then by saying no for that period of time to food, you're saying, God, would you fill me up? Would you address those things? Would you speak to me? It's a powerful discipline in our lives, powerful practice. And then the last one, number four, is tell your money where to go. It gets me into trouble on a treadmill when I get on a treadmill and don't have a plan. What I'm talking about here is a plan of what we're gonna do with our money. Rather than just responding to our impulses and our desires, it's setting up with our money. And since Rhea and I have been married for 22 years, our plan has it started with 10, 10, 80. And so we give the first 10%. Second 10% we put into savings. And we live off the rest. And over time, those, those numbers have, have increased, but it's been at least that since we've been married for 22 years. It's been a practice in our life so that our desires and our wants don't tell our money where to go, but we're telling our money. We pray about it. We say, God, what do you want us to give? God, how do you want us to live? How do you want us to save? And then we tell our money where to go with a budget. Because here's the thing. Let's go back to that. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not just does our treasure reveal where our heart is, but where we put our treasure also tells our heart where to go. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I used to care nothing about tractor supply. Because I don't have a tractor. I don't have a farm. I got a yard about this big. And so I didn't have a whole lot of need for tractor supply. And then one day I went into a tractor supply. I was like, this is pretty cool. And then I heard somebody talking about Tractor Supply who worked there, and I loved their passion for Tractor Supply. And I was like, and I was talking with Durham about, uh, about investing in the stock market. And I was like, Durham, you know what we should do on this little app? We should buy some Tractor Supply stock. And so we bought, we bought eight shares of Tractor Supply stock. Now there are 111 million shares out there in the universe, but we have eight. And you know what? I care about Tractor Supply now. I drive by Tractor Supply, I'm like, I wonder how they're doing. I look at the parking lot. I go in Tractor Supply and I walk around like this, like I own the place, because I do. I own about this much. I think about Tractor Supply differently than I did a year ago. Why? Because I've invested in it. Because my treasure is in it. And because my treasure is in it, my heart has fallen. And when we put our treasure into the work of God and we put our treasure into what God is doing in the lives of other people, when we invest in other people, our heart follows that. And so we tell our money where to go. We pray and we ask God, God, where do you want me to give? And then we follow that. And what we find is that our hearts follow where our treasure goes. And then we're freed up. Then we're freed up to remind our hearts what's true. And let me give you one more sentence to take with you. When we start feeling pulled by our impulses, we can say, you know what? I could admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. I can admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. When our impulse and our desires are, no, we need to buy that. We're running on the treadmill. We need to go over that. We say, you know what? I can admire it, but I don't have to acquire it. I see that thing, those shoes, that outfit. And I, hear, I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should collect all the rainwater and that should be your drinking water and you should sew all your clothes and you should go, you know, grow all your food in your backyard. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, um, that, that our desires do not control what we do. 
but that we say, God, would you give me self-control? And I can admire things, but I don't have to acquire all the things. We tell our money where to go. So out of those four things, what's the one thing? I want you to think with me. What's the one thing that maybe God's saying? I want you to, I want you to put that into practice this week. I mean, it's fill up first before you get on social media. You want to hear, maybe maybe it's, to, it's, to, it's to run your race, to fix your eyes on your race, on what God's called you to. Maybe it's to, it's to practice fasting for a meal this week. Maybe it's to begin to tell your money where to go. Now, um, maybe there's more than one. Um, the, the goal, if, if, if right now you're thinking, I wonder what the person next to me, I wonder which one they have, I wonder how many they have, however many they have, I want one more than them. If, if, you, if that's where you're at, you've just, you've missed the whole point. Like, the point is not that we would compare, the point is that we would ask God, God, how do you wanna form contentment in me? How do you wanna form this heart of gold? But can I tell you, you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. We are broken people, our wanters are broken. But what we can do is we can go to Jesus and he said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart. And he will give us a new heart, a heart like his, a heart of gold. And he gives us this invitation in Matthew chapter 11. I want you just hear in the craziness of the treadmills of this world, in Matthew chapter 11, why don't you just hear Jesus speak these words to you? In the world of comparison, of envy, of coveting, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that what we want? Let's pray for that. Would you bow your heads and your hearts and we'll respond in worship. I'd love to pray over you. Father, we thank you for the invitation today. The invitation to get off the treadmill of comparison. to fix our eyes on you, our gaze on you, to receive rest for our souls, to receive a new heart. So I pray for those right now who have never put their trust in you, Jesus, because of the cross, an empty tomb, you've overcome sin and death and hell and your invitation has come and receive a new heart. For those who want that today, you can just pray something like this. Jesus, I realize I'm broken. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. And today I wanna to begin to follow you. I wanna follow you here on earth and spend forever with you in heaven. Thank you for saving me. If that's your prayer today, I wanna to encourage you to find one of the pastors and just let them know that you made that your prayer. We wanna encourage you in your faith, for those who maybe you're coming to him today for the millionth time, that he would meet you in your need with his grace, with his strength, with his peace, with contentment. So Jesus, in this song, as we make this our confession, our need for you, would you deposit 
contentment in our heart, maybe in a way that we've never known, and that we would see that truly you are the one that we want, that we would bring you our hunger, that we bring you our need, and that we'd be filled. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? Let's worship together.
defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you.